Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in a sermon series on the biblical book of Leviticus. Now, this is a book that's been described as weird, gross, and backward. And the fact is that there's a lot of stuff going on in Leviticus that's strange to us today, which is all the more reason for us to study it. Because when we get below the surface, we're going to find God's beating heart of love for you and for me. If you need anything at all, please reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. Be sure to come worship with us Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Community Playhouse in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it was a good trip, but I'm so glad to be back with you all. Um, so that video hopefully gave you a little taste of what we were doing in Zambia. We sent, we had a team, there was four of us from Table Church. You saw a lot of Americans on that video that you didn't know. I understand there was actually three churches there on base at the same time with teams, one from Des Moines, one from Sioux Falls, and one from uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, and there's actually the biggest group of Americans that Poetis had ever hosted at once. I think there's 36 of us total. It was incredible. We did so much stuff. In fact, I said, I've been on a lot of missions trips, but um, we did, I don't know, probably like 10 different things on this trip. And any one of those could have been a complete missions trip. Um, you saw us pouring concrete to install street lamps in a poor community. You saw us painting. Uh, you saw us picking up trash, like just all sorts of different things. Plus, we put on a couple of really large-scale worship events, evangelistic outreaches and stuff like that to the community that were just insane. Um, so here's, here's basically what I'd boil it down to is like this. We took four people from Table Church this year. That's not enough for next year. Okay, so I don't know the dates for next year yet, but just block it out whole summer. Just say I'm going to Zambia sometime in this in this summer, and uh, that way we'll we'll know that you're you're able to come because uh, you don't want to miss it. I want everybody to have the experience if possible. So, but it's it's great to be back. Um, still kind of have a little bit of jet lag on with me. I find that as I get older, it's harder and harder to get rid of. But um, I'm sure that we'll get back to normal at some point here. Disgusting, weird, backward, and gross, those are some words that have been used to describe the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's a book that the church has largely forgotten or likes to ignore, and quite frankly, you can't really blame us because there's a lot of strange stuff in there. How to properly cut up an animal to, you know, stoning rebellious children. There's plenty of things in Leviticus that are tough to swallow. Which is why I think it's important for us to study it. The goal of this series on Leviticus is to pop the hood on this strange and distant book and help us understand what might be God's heart for us through this text. And I believe we will learn about God's incredible heart of love. So we start today with a message that actually, if you've been coming to Table Church for a while, you're going to recognize perhaps some parts of this message. I plagiarized myself a little um, for today, but the next few weeks will be all new material. But if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open. I actually think this is going to be helpful to see the text uh, today. So open with me Leviticus chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. Go ahead and open with me Leviticus chapter 1. And, or you can jump on your phone, look it up there. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand high in the air and the ushers will be happy to bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, we just want this to be a gift to you. So please be sure to be looking at the text with me today. And we'll start in verse 1, but we're going to skip around through the whole chapter. So I will be sure to alert you when we move. It says this, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting 
He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Verse three, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. Now skip to verse nine. You are to wash the internal organs and legs with water and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, if the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. Jump to 13. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 14, if the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. Now jump to 17. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely. And then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. I know what you're thinking. How are you going to pull a sermon out of that one? Well, watch this. Imagine with me that we're living in the year 1500 BC and we are a nomadic people living off the land, doing what we can to make a better living for our next generation. And so since this is the case, um, we depend very much on the cycles of the seasons, on the rains coming when they're supposed to. We city dwellers today are rather insulated from this kind of thing, uh, but everybody back then would have been keenly aware of the weather patterns, disease, pestilence, that kind of thing, anything that could mess up the food supply and things like that. And so for us ancient people, it is crucial for us to figure out a way to ensure that these disasters don't strike. And for us, the way that we do this is through what we call sacrifices. So if you have a particularly bad year, maybe a famine or a pestilence or a drought or whatever sweeps through a swarm of locusts, seeds your crops, I don't know, whatever the case, if you have a particularly bad year, well, that might mean that, okay, next year I just need to offer a better sacrifice. I need to bring something bigger to sacrifice next time. But what we find is that sometimes, sometimes that's not enough for the gods. Sometimes they just don't cooperate. The gods that we may serve as this ancient people that we are. Think about 1 Kings chapter 18. There's been a famine for years in the land, and the prophet of the God of Israel, Yahweh, the prophet Elijah, he's locked in a contest with the prophets of the false Canaanite god, Baal. And the contest says, okay, whoever's God sends fire on their altar first and burns up the sacrifice, that's the true God. And so they're having this contest, and the prophets of Baal, they go first. They put their bull on the altar, but nothing happens. And so they start to dance and they start to shout these prayers, but still nothing happens. Verse 28, 1 Kings 18, it says, So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Still nothing happened. Not to spoil the ending, but when Elijah prays to Yahweh, boom, fire comes. But this is a little window into what life was like for many people. Like, this was just regular life. 
If your God isn't responding, it must mean that you're kind of running low on credit. You need to up the ante a little bit. You need to do something a little bit better or bigger. You got to up your game somehow. So you got to find a, a bigger and better means of pleasing your God. Maybe you need to sacrifice a bigger animal. Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe you need to hurt yourself or what we even see in some ancient cultures. And we, the Bible gives us a window into this as well. Maybe you sacrifice a child. And so on and on it goes. You try to increase what you're doing in order to hopefully get your God to look favorably upon you. And so when we come to Leviticus chapter 1 and we read these, this list of sacrifices, these instructions on how to do it properly, this is not strange to us, we ancient people. This is very familiar territory. This is precisely what we would expect from our God. Oh, here, here he is giving us his list of sacrifices of how we can live in harmony with him. It goes like this, verse three. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. So it says that the first offering is from the herd. So if it's from the herd, that means that we're, we're talking about something big here. Most likely it's a bull. So, now I didn't grow up on a farm, but I'm not stupid enough to think this is a bull. I know this is a cow, okay, just to be clear. But it's the best I could find, so we're just gonna have to roll with this. Okay, so the bull is from the herd, and when it comes to livestock, that's about as big as it gets. It's hard to come up with a sacrifice much bigger than a bull. Only the wealthy could afford to bring a bull to the tabernacle for sacrifice, though. And so I'm sure that when somebody rolls up to the tabernacle with a bull, like everybody knows it, like it's huge. If I were to go to the tabernacle and, and present a bull to the priest, he'd be like, oh, Wiseman, he's going to have a good year. He brought a bull. That's what you'd say. The next paragraph Starts like this. It says, if the offering is a, this is verse 10, if the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. Okay, so from the sheep or the goats, uh, I'm pretty sure this is a sheep, right? That's a sheep? Okay, just checking. Okay, so the sheep is the next best thing. Like you can tell, sheep are smaller than bulls. So, you know, probably not quite as good of a sacrifice, but also less expensive. This was the preferred sacrifice of the Israelite middle class. And so you see me come to the tabernacle with one of these, and you think, ah, hmm, well, Wiseman, he might have an okay year, but bull would have been better. That's what you'd say. Okay, and then we have our final paragraph. It says, if the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you were to offer a dove or a young pigeon. So now we have an option that is neither from the herd nor the flock. It's an offering of birds, dove or a pigeon. Got one of those two. You'll notice the pigeon is considerably smaller than either the sheep or the bull. Now let me ask you this. If you are one of these ancient Near Eastern gods like Baal or Marduk or Molech, all right, and you're looking down on your people below you, and you're hungry. You want to eat something. And if they don't feed you well, you're not going to give them rain. Which one of these are you going to want? You're going to want some hamburger, aren't you? 
Like that's, that's obviously what you want. The problem is, what if you can't afford to bring the hamburger? What if you can only afford a pigeon? Well, now you're in a world of trouble, aren't you? Obviously, you're going to want the bowl. So, we, I mean, we can't blame folks for assuming that if this whole ritual is about keeping your God happy so that they'll be nice to you, so they'll look favorably upon you, so your crops will grow and your children will thrive and all that stuff, then those who can afford the bull have a real advantage over those who can afford the pigeon. You see, the pigeon is the sacrifice for the poorest of the poor. This is when you have absolutely nothing else to give. So if you walk, saw me walk up to the tabernacle and hand the priest a scrawny little pigeon, you'd say, ah, man, Wiseman, he better watch out. He's not going to have a very good year this year. The bull would have been better. No, I know a lot of people today who have what we might call a bull is better spirituality. Bull is better spirituality says that my worth in God's eyes is tied directly to what I can do for God, what I can produce for God. That is what makes God like me more. The bull is better. It's like there's a ledger somewhere, and when I mess up, I need to do something big for God in order to get my credit score back up where it needs to be. Few of us would say this out loud, especially if you've grown in the church and you've heard sermons on the grace of God and his unmerited favor and salvation by faith and stuff like that. You know right here that that's not actually how it's supposed to work, but right here, it might be a different story. I think that right here, we operate out of a bull is better spirituality all the time. It's the mom who never feels that she's doing enough. It's the dad who feels like a failure, the student who's crushed by comparison, often one way or another. Deep down, we think that since we're such a mess up, it must mean that we're also sideways with God. And so we imagine God as though he's somewhere with a clipboard, and every time we do something, he's got his eyebrow raised like this. He's got his foot tapping, and he makes a little noise like, hmm. You don't know what that means, but he's marking something out on his clipboard. You're like, ah, it can't be good. That's how we understand God. February 9th, 2009, was one of the most significant days in history. You know what happened on that day? Facebook introduced the like button. Before that, they had the poke button, the poke. It wasn't a button. It was, that didn't catch on, did it? The poke didn't go anywhere. They had the like button, and that spread like wildfire. You see, before the like button, Facebook was like, hey, let's post pictures of our family and our kids and our food and just like say, hey, here's what I'm doing today. How are you? And hey, great to catch up. Nice to see you. Like, it was just a way to stay connected. But when the like button came on the scene, now there is a performative quality infused into social media. See, before you would post things in order to share, now you craft posts in order to generate traction, to garner interest, to get traffic, to perform well. And since much of our lives is social media adjacent, at the very least, it infused its I think safe to say it infused a performative element not only into our social media lives, but into our lives in general. This is a significant psychological shift. Unlike anything that's ever really occurred before, 
And we are now different. We think different. We operate differently today because of it. And so we have this performative quality infused into our brains, you could almost say. But the thing that this passage shows us, friends, and what I want us to know today is that there is no clipboard, there is no ledger, and it's not about the bull. When we read about sacrificing the bull in the text, it gives us all the grisly details of how to cut it up just right, put it on the altar. We're not going to get into that. But the last sentence of that paragraph is this. It says, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And then the next paragraph talks about sacrificing something from the flock, the sheep or the goat. It gives us all the grisly details of how to cut it up just right, put it on the altar. We're not going to get into that either. But the last sentence, it says, it is a food offering, a burnt offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And then the next paragraph tells us how to properly sacrifice a bird, even like, I think, how to like, tear it apart and stuff, kind of gross. Well, the last sentence, it says, it is a food offering, a burnt offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. See, whether you're a rich man offering your finest bull or a poor widow who can only afford a pigeon, Leviticus is clear, God sees it the same. The Bible shows us something about God that is nothing short of remarkable. It is more revolutionary than the like button. This is something that people did not think they did not think this way at the time, but Leviticus chapter 1 is in your face about it, and if you were adept at that language at that time, you would pick it up. You'd say, hold on a second, there's something going on here. See, for Baal, Marduk, and Molech, it was about the bull. It was about the bull. But for this God of Israel, Yahweh, you're telling me that you accept the pigeon the same as you accept the bull. This is something else. This is different. But, you know, if you really think about it, too, there's something a little disturbing about that. I mean, how do you suppose someone starts to feel? I worked hard all year in order to bring my finest bull to sacrifice. you tell me that that guy with his bird, that that's the same? Like, I don't think so, right? No, that's not going to work for me. Jesus tells a story about two brothers Younger brother, he insults, dishonors his father, says, Dad, he basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I want my inheritance early. <laughs> and he takes his inheritance and he goes and he moves out and he says he spoils it all on wild living. And uh, he ends up running out of money and he finds himself just living like, literally like pigs do. And he thinks to himself, you know what? I've made a horrible mistake. I would be better off as a slave in my dad's farm. Maybe if I go back, I can repent, and maybe my dad will hire me back as a hired hand. And so that's what he does. He goes back. But his father says, his, his, his dad's waiting for him. He's watching for him. He says that while he's still a long way off, his dad runs to him. He puts a ring on his finger, puts a coat on his shoulders. He, they, he says, slay the fattest calf. We're throwing a party. My son was lost, but now he's home. But there's another brother in the story. The older brother did everything right. You can imagine this older brother looking at this all happen and saying, wait, 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 wait. Dad, I honored you. I did everything I was supposed to do. I worked hard all these years while my younger brother went off and 
dishonored you, said you were, wished you were dead, all these things. You can almost hear him say, Dad, I brought a bull. And now he gets a party? I don't think so. Here's the lesson the older brother needed to learn, and perhaps it's a lesson that some of us need to learn today as well. It's this, God is not concerned with what I bring, but with how I bring it. This means that you might bring the fattest bull, but if your heart is not completely given to God, listen, it's not a pleasing aroma to him. And you may only be able to afford a scrawny little pigeon, but if your heart is fully for God, it is pleasing to him. And I don't know how to translate bulls and pigeons exactly to our culture, but you know what? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've got it all going on. Maybe your life is just going great, but you don't really think you need God that much. Or maybe you're kind of a mess up and you know it, and you're, a little, and you're desperate for your God, and you're like, God, I need you. I, it makes me think of uh, Kelly's sermon a couple weeks ago. Kelly preached, by the way. Did you, did you like that? Yeah, that was good. And uh, remember her story about her dad? And he was like going down a path. He's like, God, something's got to change. Maybe that's you. This is your pigeon. You know, you don't have much, but you're giving what you got to God. And God's like, that's all I need. That's all I need. A mother knows the feeling when their ch young child or son gives you a bouquet of dandelions. And maybe that same woman's husband's a high-powered executive, has his assistant order a $100 bouquet to be delivered to the house, but never goes home. Which one's more appreciated? One person's trying to demonstrate their love. The other one's just trying to do enough to get by. You can bring a bowl, but you can bring it the wrong way. Now, we don't have a tabernacle anymore. We don't have a temple anymore, and there's reasons for that. We'll talk about kind of the mechanics of things, the theology behind Leviticus later in the series. Tabernacle and the temple were the places where they would go and sacrifice all this stuff. We don't do that now, but don't be fooled. You still bring something to God. You still bring something before God. First Samuel says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, if we can look past this, all the strange cultural practices in Leviticus and the light years of cultural difference that separates us, we're going to see is that the heart of God is beating with love for us. God is interested in you. He always has been. This is just another way of communicating that same thing. You know, grace is not a New Testament invention. It was in the Old Testament too. God is interested in you. But listen, that truth that all he wants is your heart, is both freedom and challenge. It's two things at once. On the one hand, it's freedom, because yeah, it means there's no ledger. There's no clipboard. It's not about the bull. It, you don't have to try to work or perform or earn your way to God or any of that stuff. That's freedom. That's amazing. I mean, imagine living like, like the people, you know, the, the people who served Baal, and they were slashing themselves and all that. Like, imagine that. God says, no, that's, that's not who I am. That's freedom. It's also a challenge because you know what? Sometimes, honestly, I wish it kind of was about the bull. Because if I can just bring a bull to the altar, then I can check my God box and be done and say I did my part and get on with my weekend. I can leave it at church on Sunday. I can do what I want on Monday. If it were about the bull, that would frankly make some things in my life a little easier, I think. At least some of us who have the means to bring the bull. 
have things put together enough that we can get along okay without God from time to time. But that's not how it is. God wants your heart. He wants all of it. And it's not because he's greedy. It's because he wants you to flourish. And he knows how life should be lived because he is the author of life. He can't show you that if you've got one foot out the door all the time. See, Leviticus teaches us this. How we come before God matters. It may not be about what you bring, but how you come before God matters. And it's not because God is this egotistical maniac who simply wants to force us to worship him. It's because he is the author of life. He knows how life should be lived. Leviticus helps us realize, honestly, just how important I think this hour is on Sunday morning. Because Leviticus is all about worship. It's really what the book is about. And that's what we do when we come here on Sunday. We come before God with hearts in order to worship him. This is not throwaway. This is not optional. You need this. You need this to thrive. Because listen, we're all desperate for acceptance. Remember the impact that the like button had. We're all desperate for acceptance. In fact, to know that you matter to somebody is like one of the basic psychological needs that every person has. You have to know that somebody loves you and accepts you for who you are. And sometimes we're so desperate to prove our, to ourselves that we matter that we will actually grind other people down in order to convince ourselves that we're important. You ever seen this before? We'll actually try to wound other people in order to convince ourselves that we matter. Look, worship is the remedy for that. Worship is where we realize that, listen, the thing you are seeking out of wounding is already yours in blessing. Did you catch that? The thing you are seeking out of wounding is already yours in blessing. That is a deep heart truth. I didn't come up with that. It's John Tyson. He said that. But it's so good. The thing you are seeking from wounding others is the thing. Is your, it's already yours. You already have it. When you come into worship, it's the moment that the prodigal appears over the horizon and his dad is already running towards him. That's what worship is. God was already here. He was already waiting for us. And he's just waiting for us to come so he can put his arms around us and embrace us. And we can be reminded that it's not about the bull. That's what worship does for us. You need this. God has already accepted you. You can only learn that in worship. So, what should a Christian's attitude be towards this gathering? I got three things. I think, number one, you should plan for it, you should prepare for it, and we should participate in it. First of all, plan for it. To plan for it means, look, you form your schedule around worship, not worship around your schedule. Like, if you have a family, you lead your family to understand, look, Guys, we have an immovable date with God on Sundays. And however crazy the rest of our week gets, this is the anchor. This is the pivot point. This is what it comes back to. Look, parents, please teach your kids that God matters more than sports or activities. And you know what? Here's the thing about that. They won't get the message just by you telling them. You have to show them as well. In fact, I've heard somebody say that the emphasis that one generation puts on worship is the emphasis the next generation will put on God. If worship is an optional thing for you, God will be optional for the next generation, for your kids. That's what you're communicating when you make this just kind of a throwaway moment in the week that doesn't really matter. And if we feel like it, if we can kind of get up early enough, and if, you know, if it works out, it works out. No, this 
matters. Number two, we should prepare for worship. This means that we come here with an attitude that says, look, whatever else has happened to get me here, like God, this next hour, and honestly, we don't, compared to the rest of the world, we only worship for an hour. That's pretty quick. God, this hour is yours. I am yours. Come ready, come humble, come expectant. Say, God, whatever you want to do in me now, I belong to you. And then finally, we participate in it. As you know, I just, I just returned from Zambia, and um, oh, the worship, <laughs> the music, it's just, just a, a, a musical culture. Um, and as you heard in the video, I've been going there for a long time. It never gets old. It's like, yeah, part of my heart is buried in the dirt in Zambia. And, but when you go and you worship there, and if you've been on a trip or if you've worshipped with other people from around the world, you know that our culture is a little bit more reserved than others. Okay? That's just kind of part of who we are. And I don't know. That's not the worst thing ever. But it's just true, all right? And, uh, but when you go there, I mean, they, they're just going in like crazy for God. You know, this is like jumping and dancing and shouting and singing. And that's amazing. But that's not the biggest difference. The biggest difference, I would say, that I, that I want, that I want to have more, I don't, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, is there's a desperation for God and an expectation that he'll move. Like those two things, desperation and expectation. Like, I remember uh, one morning, my back, I'd like tweak something in my back, and I said to somebody there, hey, I need you guys to pray for me because like, I'm supposed to go out and like, we're going to pick up trash that day. It's like, this isn't going to go well if something doesn't change. He put my, he's just, right, like he didn't even think about it. He put his hand on my back and said, go away back. And it released, and I was fine. I'm just like, there's an expectation that God is here and that what we're doing matters and that God is with us, you know? It's incredible. I want to bring that back. I want it to happen in me. I want it to happen in us. You may notice we put a few little barriers back there, halfway back. Um, just kind of a gentle encouragement to maybe let's come together down front. Um, Seems like there's a good number of us here today, but it's not uncommon throughout the summer. I think last week or the week before, there was 44 people in the room during worship. 44 people. There's 400 chairs in here. Like, we got space. There's over 200 chairs just in the front half. We got room. Worship is a corporate thing. It's not an I thing. It's a we thing. And if you're, you're, like, you know, if you're inhabiting your own personal acre, uh, it feels a little bit less corporate. You know what I mean? And so that's one of the things that we're just kind of gently hoping we can do is like, let's come together and let's like worship God together. Let's chase after him. We live in such a post-Western world, post-enlightenment. We've, our mindset is so atomized down to the individual. You know what I mean? That's not how the Bible thinks. The Bible doesn't think individually. The Bible thinks corporately. This is an us thing together. We present ourselves to God as a sacrifice of praise. And so that's what we want to do. We want to chase after God with everything we've got. And so maybe today you're one of those people who say, I don't have much, but God, take my pigeon. It's all I've got, but it's yours anyway. This is for you. Or maybe you're somebody who's got a lot going on. You got it together in life. And you just say, you know what, God? Take my bowl. It's yours anyway. Take everything. It's yours. I don't need it. That's where we need to be. I want to end with this uh, kind of remarkable passage from Psalm 51. The psalmist in the middle of the Old Testament understood it's not about the bull. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. It's not about the bull. It's about the heart. Would you pray with me? Well, God, we ask that your spirit would not pass us by, but would just come in richness and fullness upon us as we go. God, give us a boldness when it comes to reaching people who don't know you. And God, may we be your light in the world. Lord, help us to remember there's no clipboard, there's no ledger. You simply want our hearts. And so may we give it all to you now. We pray these things in your name. Amen.